Providing for your family is a top priority. But what happens when you need affordable health care? Christian Healthcare Ministries could save you up to 40% today. As a member, you can choose your provider without network restrictions. Sign up at your convenience with our anytime enrollment. Join a Christian community that supports each other's medical expenses, offering peace of mind as you prioritize what's most important. Enroll now at yourchm.org. Welcome to the Untold Story, everybody. It's great to have you with us today. I'm very pleased to be joined by Mark Penn, who's a frequent guest on our show and lots of other programs on Fox. Mark is the president and managing partner of the Stagwell Group. He's a former White House pollster to President Bill Clinton, former chief strategist to Hillary Clinton in her Senate campaigns and her 08 presidential campaign, author of Micro Trends, The New Small Forces Driving Today's Big Disruptions, and the chairman of the Harris Polls. We just got a whole new raft of Harris Polls that just came out, Harvard Harris Polls. So, Mark, lots to talk about. Great to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit um, about the piece that you just wrote. I want to start there and then wrap around to the polls after that, because it's a very interesting piece that was just published called The Republican Paradox, Conservative Voters Who Nominate Moderates. And in it, you're making the case that the role that Donald Trump plays among Republican and conservative voters has from 2016 to now. And you're arguing that that may mean that there's an opening, although it doesn't look like right now, there doesn't seem to be much of an opening, but but explain it to us. Sure. I mean, I mean, there, there are a couple of observations in the piece that I think are uh, paradoxical yeah. to what people think. I think people think that the Republican Party is just dominated by an extreme right wing group that determines who the presidential nominee is. And when you look at the recent history of the party, you have to go back to Goldwater to have found that to be the case that the people who win Iowa, which is more conservative, generally don't win the nomination. They're, you know, Rick Sibterm was not the nominee. Uh, and and also that the nominees have been Romney, they've been McCain, even George Bush really ran on, on compassionate conservatism. And what I really observed was I went back to look at when Donald Trump originally entered the scene, actually... Somewhat conservative voters really liked him a, a lot. He was the outsider coming in to disrupt the the uh, the status quo. Now, actually, he's liked by the very conservative voters and the not very conservative voters, somewhat or not at all or moderate. They all are actually looking for somebody else. They just don't know who that somebody else really is. So it's interesting because the argument, you know, and when you look at Donald Trump's past, he was not a conservatives in terms of spending or in terms of, uh, you know, lots of sort of traditional descriptions of conservatism, smaller government, you know, wasn't really Donald Trump's thing. So how did he get to the point after serving for four years where now his his real great support comes from conservatives? And my other question is, since so many people helped get him elected, many of whom hadn't voted before. And you can tell me if that's actually true or not, sort of an understood part of 2016. And maybe now they're sort of new conservatives who consider themselves very conservative. Well, but that's right. He was the New York tycoon. I mean, you know, 
somebody from New York and, and and he hadn't really ever been very conservative. He was a little bit more of a common sense, you know, cons- conservative overall. And I think that that, you know, I think the fact actually that the government, the government and the FBI and the CIA and everybody attacked him so much. I think that he then and I do think the fact that he changed the makeup of the court to be more conservative, in fact, made him the choice of the most conservative, you know, Republican voters, just in many ways that oddly Joe Biden, who was a moderate, is now the choice of the left in the Democratic Party. Uh, and, and so but I think that that the important thing is that I don't think the prime that necessarily the Republican primary is over because because that base actually doesn't that he now has doesn't usually really decide the nomination. And there are 23 states in which independents or non-Republicans can vote uh, in the primaries and they don't have a Democratic primary. So they're going to be drawn to this one if one of the other candidates has a really effective operation. Well, OK, so that that brings two questions to mind. And the first of which is what what erodes his support, his current support? We have new Fox business polls that show Fox uh, that show Trump ahead by you know, 20, 30 points, 40 points in New Hampshire, in South Carolina, excuse me, and in Iowa. So what what shifts that dynamic? Well, look, Brian, you know, they always say about how, you know, early presidential polling doesn't pan out. Well, primary polling is just subject to 20, 30 point swings like in days. And and the real question is in, in I think is unquestionably he's going to win Iowa. But the the question in Iowa against front runners is who emerges as the number two candidate, right? And then does it focus on a, on a to a two person race after Iowa going into New Hampshire? You know, because because if that happens, then you'll have a real race. If if he gets forty six and everybody else gets twelve, then all right, he's going to pretty much skate in, and they're just going to point fingers at each other. But, you know, right now, I think the Fox Business poll that came out this morning shows the one movement that we're seeing is Nikki Haley kind of right. coming up in the numbers and that she had a good first debate. Uh, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy came up, but uh, but but I don't know that he's got as much growing room as she really does. Uh, and and I think if she could if she manages to win a second debate in her, in a row, you know, she might really begin to get something going here that really wasn't expected. Again, the unexpected is the expected in the primaries, both Republican and Democratic, almost always. I mean, I was looking this morning at an interview from Mike Pence, and I can't recall in the history of the country, maybe when you went back to when vice presidents from a different party, vice presidents have never run against the president that they served. No, I think that's a great point, Mark. And this whole situation is so unprecedented to have a president who lost an election, waits four years and comes back and runs again, I think bakes into the cake a sort of incumbency that is really supporting his numbers dramatically at this point. Name recognition, incumbency at work in a way that we just never see before. It's either a wide open election or you have someone running who's currently the president. So you know, I, I don't think people think about that enough in terms of how novel this situation is. And then on top of it, as you say, is vice president running against him. And, and, and so, 
you know, so I, I do think that, look, there's a scenario, but there's a lots of scenarios in primary politics. It's the one, so one scenario is none of the, there's no, they, they don't coalesce around a, a candidate uh, and he just kind of runs the table. But the other scenario is one of the other candidates emerge. I think people thought, you know, Tim Scott has gone down somewhat, but he'll, you know, he just didn't have a great first debate and he's, he's faded. Maybe he'll have a good, uh, a good debate. Maybe he'll kind of come back from, the, from that. Uh, obviously, I think what furthers my analysis is, is, is pretty much that Ron DeSantis had a great position coming out in November. And he somehow thought that he was going to get the very conservative voters and he had to go win Iowa and he had to be really a, a, a very conservative candidate. And that failed because Trump didn't lose any of those voters. And instead, DeSantis lost all the somewhat conservative and not conservative voters who really were interested in his candidacy. That, that's why he continues to fade because he made that fundamental mistake. Whereas I think that, again, going back to who the winners really have been, Nikki Haley separated herself somewhat on abortion, and 49% of the Republican primary voters are going to be women. She is the only women candidate there. Uh, and, and, and also 51% in the Wall Street Journal poll are suburbanites. So I, I think we forget the extent to which the Republican Party is really a suburban party. There aren't it doesn't really have many votes in the urban areas. And, you know, Trump really will do and do incredibly well in the rural areas. But there is only like 14 percent of the country or even the Republican primary voters that are that are in those areas. You know, talk to us a little bit about the primary process itself, because and just sticking with Republicans on this last question, I mean, you have a, a handful of people who attend caucuses very small number of voters who will show up in New Hampshire and South Carolina who decide the momentum of the nomination and the delegate count. So, you know, a, a small group of people in these early states end up really picking the candidate, don't they? Yeah, because the, and, and that's why the momentum can change so radically. And you saw last time, really, the momentum did change radically you know, in Trump's favor. And then it also turned in Biden's favor after people thought Biden was out. Look, I, I think here the Republican process is a little different in that it starts out proportional so that the delegates gained in the early races don't matter that much. And then it turns to winner take all right under the theory that that, hey, you should have a primary, you know, maybe through January and February. But come March and April, you know, you should get a quick decision. And so, so that means the, the, what, what'll happen here is like, as I said, who comes out second in Iowa will be really important. Who wins New Hampshire? New Hampshire has been a pretty good predictor of who the nominee is going to be on the Republican side. If, if someone either wins in New Hampshire, and remember, you can win in New Hampshire by coming close to Trump. You don't have to actually, the, the whole crazy thing about primary, uh, primaries is it's all about momentum, right? And then you go into Haley's home state, and you go into Nevada, and then you start to go into the, the into the real primaries. So either it's, it's going to be, you know, if it's Trump against one or two candidates at most, right, and Trump is below a majority, then you could have a real breakout change. If, if Trump is consistently above a majority and there's four candidates and nobody gets out and Chris Christie wants to, you know, stay in forever, 
you know, then of course it, it's going to be a waste in the, you know, and, and, and that's what we don't really know, right? That's what's going to be really interesting to see. In the logical process, whoever comes in second in Iowa is going to be, is then going to do really well in New Hampshire. Everybody else is going to drop out. There'll be a one-on-one -on -one race against, against that candidate, which is either going to be, either going to be Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Maybe Vivek Ramaswamy. It's going to be one of those. The rest don't seem to be relevant, you know, and, and should have dropped out, you know, already. I mean, look, Mike Pence may be a kind of a really good, you know, public servant and was a loyal vice president. But if you if after four years of exposure to the public, you don't have a really strong base in the Republican primary. I mean, uh, how does that make any sense? Really? The untold story continues right after this. I want to switch over to the Democrat side and talk a little bit about the new Harvard-Harris polls and what you see in them and get your take on the kind of inside the Beltway talk about potentially Biden needs to step aside. It seems to be growing and gaining some momentum. Well, I think Biden was always going to face the most severe pressure, whether he's going to be the nominee or, or whether or not he was going to have to, to pull out basically now and maybe for another two or three weeks. Um, all indications are he's going to stay in. Uh, the Democratic primary vote is pretty well consolidated. Uh, and but his numbers obviously are not looking good. His 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 ratings are around 40 percent. Nobody's gotten reelected at around 40 percent. Uh, the you know, in our poll, Trump wins. And one thing I it's fascinating now Nikki Haley does win by is, is by more than any other of the Republican nominees so she is the most electable you know candidate on the Republican side uh it's a very much in almost all the polls a, a toss-up race between uh Trump and Biden with Trump having the edge now you know remarkably despite uh, all of the indictments uh and the, you know the big issues being inflation the economy, uh, immigration and crime and immigration has has really come up as an issue. And, and I think that also, obviously, uh, Trump made that an issue from day one. So, you know, on the Democratic side, not a lot is happening. There is some beltway chatter. Um, really, if there is going to be any change, it's got to really be in the next, you know, couple of weeks here, uh, because then the primary filing deadlines really come into play. Uh, but I, I just I just don't see it happening at this point. So let's talk a little bit about the issues. Inflation, economy, obviously still number one in the polling. What do you see in your polling in terms of what people care about the most next? Well, that's where immigration has really come up. You know, previously, when you looked at immigration as an issue, it was only Republicans who cared about immigration. With uh, the migration to the cities and the complaints from the mayors and the governors about the cost of the uh, of the migrant population in, in, in the blue states, it's now become uh, an across-the-board issue. Uh, I think crime is an important issue, and, and that also plays well. So I, I think that the, the issues have really changed. Now, I look at Democrats. Democrats are also concerned about climate change. They are concerned, you know, uh, about racial equity. You won't see that on the Republican side. Uh, but the independence, again, will be more uh, about these bread and butter issues of inflation, gas prices, food prices, everyday life. Uh, I'm a little surprised that, you know, I haven't seen a, an economic plan 
from anybody, really. Uh, uh, you know, Tim Scott put out one finally, but even how the economy is the big issue, you know, and having worked with President Clinton, we always had like a four point plan for the economy that we just yeah. boomed in at every single stop. And people really came to understand that I'm the candidate, meaning President Clinton was the candidate to deal with the economy. And I, I've been surprised that I just haven't seen that. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I, and I, I, I think, you know, it seems so basic. You want people to attach to your name a very clear idea of what you would do differently. And we don't hear it from the president either. Um, you know, why do you think that is? I mean, who's running all these? When you look at the people running these campaigns, um, what would you say to them? I, I would say to them that the biggest issue right now is the cost of middle class life, the cost of housing, the cost of food, the cost of gasoline, right? Getting your kids educated so that they can have a better future. And I'd say, I don't understand why instead you're talking more about social issues, you know, more, you know, more about the issues that will apply maybe to, you know, the, the base voters than than the true swing middle class voters of the country who feel a lot of stress. And the one thing you really see in these polls is the the 62 percent or so that say the economy is in the wrong direction. Uh, and and this whole idea of what's happened to middle class life, which remember, if you just go back a few years, low gas prices, get a low cost mortgage, get a house, right? Food costs were way down. All of those basic expenses that people had were under control. Uh, and all of that now is out of control. And I, I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it's almost as though people kind of think what's on Twitter is what's on the voters' minds instead of what we really see in the polls. So if you were advising President Biden right now in his reelection, what would you tell him? He's He's got a mess on his hands with this border situation. And now I hear reporters from all across the spectrum asking questions about it. And as you say, it's starting to surface in the polls, too. How would you tell him to talk about this and beyond talk what to do about it? Well, I would say now is the time to try out comprehensive immigration reform, put forward a proposal that 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 closes the border, gives, you know, you know, rights to DACA recipients that creates a compromise that that was talked about for years and dropped and to be a champion for that. Because, I, I, in fact, overall, if you want a second term, you really have to start telling people what is your true agenda for that second term? How is it different? And if you want a big win, you've got to reach over and deal with crime and immigration and inflation and have real plans for each of those rather than talk about threat to democracy and talk about threat to democracy. And that's going to be a 50 50 election. Talk about how you're going to really tackle the problems that are on people's minds and you make some moves towards bipartisan legislation. I've always said, like, you know, if the president pardoned all of the nonviolent January 6th participants, his poll rating would go up 10 points overnight. Right. Because he would show that he was bringing the country together instead of just, I think, campaigning for that 50.1%. Yeah, that seems so logical to me as well. And so is it him? Is he really dug in on just ignoring what's going on in immigration? If he came out and said, look, you know, sometimes the best intentions uh, don't lead in the right direction. Obviously, we've got an issue here. I'm going to send troops down to the border. We're going to 
We're going to close it while we figure out what to do here. And I, I want legislation done by the end of the year. You know, is it why does he avoid sort of even talking about it? Well, when I work with President Clinton and President Clinton did things like that, right? He crossed over to balance budget, welfare reform, welfare to work. right? He, he came off of shellacking in the 94 congressional election. What happened here is because there wasn't the flag, right? The belief is, well, let's keep our coalition together, right? Mm -hmm. Our coalition of Democrats held well. So if I go out and start to do these things, I'm going to fracture my political coalition that has been successful, right? And I think that therefore there's a very different kind of calculus at work here uh, as to why you, you don't see the kind of reaching out that President Clinton did you know, in, in order to win like a really big, you know, uh, victory, which I think the country wants, you know, one way or the other, another 50-50 election decided by, you know, 26,000 votes somewhere is is, is really going to continue to yeah. frustrate the voters. So true. I mean, that that's the that's the reality that it's likely we see, you know, if we have this set up the way it looks like it, you know, you're going to have an election where it's decided by, um, 20, 30, 40,000 voters in a, in a handful of states once again. Um, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. So it's late September right now. Where do you think we are next September, a year from now, just heading right into the election? The conventions are over. Who, Which vice presidents are we looking at? Which which candidates are we looking at? What do you think is most likely uh, well, we'll see where, where we stand as we get closer to that date. You know, I, I always, you know, you've asked me the one question that I, I really always beg <laughs> off on because I always explain that being president is a low probability profession. Even the person with the highest probability has a low probability of actually succeeding, which is why we're always surprised, like, because so many events have to happen, right? There's the... There's the obvious scenario here. Donald Trump against Joe Biden, a, a uh, no one changes their mind and the, the election is decided on a toss up. And if the economy gets better, then Biden would win. Uh, and if the economy gets worse or stays where it is, probably advantage Trump. Right. And that's the simplest thing. But it rarely turns out in politics that those expectations occur. Instead, somebody does a surprise in the, you know, I think the more interesting scenario in some ways likely is that the, there'll be a surprise. One of these two won't actually be the nominee. I think there's more likely to be a surprise on the Republican side because there's an active group of candidates who just haven't found their footing yet, but they still have time. And that we'll be looking at something, you know, radically different from the from from the easy scenario, uh, you know, that I outlined. Yeah, um, I I don't know. I've covered maybe six presidential election cycles and where we are at this point, late summer is never where we are the following summer. So I agree with you. I think we're going to see something will give and shift. And I'm not sure what it is either. But I have a feeling that it's going to look different in some way. And I think one of those two candidates does not end up running for, for whatever reason. And we can all imagine a few reasons that 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 might be on either side. So um, I know we're going to talk before between now and then, but um, we will revisit this a year from now, too, I hope, Mark. Um, 
and and see how it all shakes out. But I, I want to thank you for your time. It's always great to pick your brain and I appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Look forward to it. And I think the next 30 days, 45 at the outside, absolutely critical on whether America is going to get the status quo where you're going to see some change. Okay, good. We'll see if you're right. Thank you very much, Mark. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.